Welcome to Off The Ball's first Racing Pod Live! <laughs> Johnny Ward, how are you? I'm good, JD, I'm good. You know what, we started this in November. We've had 11 episodes. This is February the 1st. And look at all these people here that have taken time out of their day to come to the Mason Hotel in Dublin for their Off The Ball Racing Pod with William Hill. Give yourselves a round of applause. So, you all got a raffle ticket on the way in? Yeah? Good. What is it? Well, we've got a great prize giveaway, thanks to our partners here, William Hill. We'll make a draw at the end of the night, the end of the conversation. The lucky winner will receive a VIP package for two people to the William Hill Champion Chase Day, the 2024 Punchestown Festival. So don't lose your raffle ticket. Johnny Ward, what have you been doing the last 24 hours? You've just got off a boat. I was in Liverpool, yeah. Um, it's an interesting experience being on a boat, um, going over to uh, Liverpool Games, and it's just like an Irish city. It's honestly like... And even... Um, we got tickets in, in a house beforehand that was set up by... So basically, I don't know if you're familiar with going to Liverpool game, but you get season tickets, but you have to get that person's phone. So you actually literally have to get a phone and bring that phone to the ground, bring it back so it's kind of an honour system. And it was just like a house of about 50 people downstairs um, just having drinks and talking about Liverpool because my brother's a big Liverpool fan, so we got him a trip for Christmas and we went over and... Uh, I mean, Conor Bradley could be... Yeah. I mean, you're just like, where did this kid come from? And unfortunately, he's not going to play for the Republic. When I, when I, when great. Like, it was like... This is not a soccer show, by the way. This yeah. is a hard racing <laughs> show. It's a racing pod. So but we, we, all, you know, we all do like other sports as well. Um, when I was watching Peter Sullivan and racing growing up, I always saw 3 o'clock or 3.20 Liverpool. Because Liverpool was always where the Grand National... It, well, it is, and Aintree. Aintree's a new kind of marketing concept, and that's where it is in Liverpool. But Liverpool is the Grand National, and we all remember when we were a young person watching the Grand National, watching Cheltenham, why we love horse racing, why we're here tonight. I mean, for you, what has got you the buzz? For me, it's like my dad, it's the relationship with my dad, it's the fact that he loved racing. I, I watched it with him when I was a small person and, and following all the great horses and being a sense of Irish pride about being a racing fan. But for you, you've owned horses, mm. so you must like it. <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I wouldn't put the two together. Like, um, No, I was in college uh, in 2000, and um, I had about 10 hours a week in college. And it, it was kind of when the bookie shops were expanding, and I went in there and started to meet people who, who understood betting. And Sean Flanagan rode a horse that I was involved in. He was the first horse that I was ever involved in. And Sean, how many times did you ride to victory, Sean? Two, once in Galway. So I just, th this was a syndicate of lads that I met in the bookies, basically, in Whitehall, because um, it was, in those days, the betting shop was a hive of activity, and you had all manners of characters, like the car dealer, uh, the pensioners, the students, like, all trying to trade information. And, like, on the summer evenings, when there'd be the later evenings, people would come in after work, and, you know, people give out about betting shops, but, like, I, I look back very fondly on the people I met there. We all got involved in a horse. Operation Udini took about 12 runs to even win a race maybe more he kept finishing uh, second 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 he ended up then finishing second in a troy town and he was second in a cork national having been thrown out and we got some crack out of it but unfortunately unfortunately for me my first experience of ownership was good because forget about it after that because that was like <laughs> it's not good my and forget about ownership <laughs> yeah, that's the first rule of the racing pod uh, live that's the first thing we've, we've learned tonight it's uh, amazing when it goes well like it's yeah. when you have i think we need more syndicates we need we need a flooring porter we like gavin mm. Cromwell's here tonight so we're gonna get the whole inside story into the foreign porter mm. yeah like he was bought for 10 grand on off a of facebook yeah. ad like but like the 
there are so many race meetings now that um, many of the meetings there aren't that ma many people there, and you know a lot of the time the trainer doesn't go because he, you know, he or she doesn't have the time either. We need more syndicates and more life, and um, because I, I do feel the buzz of owning a horse with your mates, and and like we owned the horse before WhatsApp, you know, so it was all like individual messages, and now WhatsApp makes it so easy to disseminate information on that. Your favorite, most memorable days as a racing person? Um, <laughs> like. The horse that I was involved in Operation Udini winning in Galway was just incredible. Um, won twice in Galway. Sean won, 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 rode him one of the days. Um, seeing my own colours to victory, um, you know, even on the box was amazing. I've never actually Did you seen pick the colours? Uh, I did, yeah. Kind what of colors? green, white and black. Right. Um, and to be honest, like... Uh, the, kind of your mood on the other day, yeah? The, the day that the, day that the, the Pat Smullen fundraiser in the Curra as yeah. well, there was something really special about that because, like... You know, we slag racing and all of that, and, you know, racing people can be very wrapped up in the sport, but that day was special. Um, and also just thinking back as well, like, when I get into racing and the days of Hardy Uses, Brave Inca, Harchibald, like, those races, when, when you were actually experiencing them, were, were special. I, I didn't tell you this, right? Mm. But my favourite race I, I think I've ever been at at Cheltenham was in 2005, and, and here's a recap of, of that amazing day. As they jump the second last kill, Hardy Eustace from Brave Inca now laying down the big challenge on the outside as they round the final turn. Archibald under a very confident quiet ride in third place. This has probably been my favourite race, Eddie. Really. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're talking favourite races, Desert Chups, um, Moscow Fires, Tingle Creek, this is probably my favourite ever race, actually. And my mate was saying to me at the time, Carberry's not going to win. I'm telling you he's not going to win. He's not going to win. He won't find Anthony. He won't find Anthony. He won't find Anthony. want honesty in this audience. Anybody back Archibald in that race? Yes, honesty. We've honesty here at the racing pod live. Anyone back Hardy? Anyone back Brave? Ringmaster Mick McCarthy back Hardy. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it was uh, the problem with Paul Carberry that day was the horse jumped. I think it was the second last too well because he like when he actually got after him, he found nothing. The horse is a headbanger. I'm sorry. But, but famously then at Punchestown, Noel Mead kind of said, like, ride him differently at Punchestown. And Paul Carberry more or less said, I'm never going to listen to anyone telling me how to ride a horse again because he found even less at Punchestown. That's just the way he was. Um, but it was frustrating for Noel Mead to obviously see. Yeah, um, for me, I suppose, memorable days. Uh, I remember tipping Aurora's encore to win the Grand National at 80 to 1 on Today FM. And I did my brains on the Friday so on the Saturday morning, it was 100 to 1, and I didn't bother, and it won. <laughs> and I had all these people on Twitter telling me I was a great fella for the, for the first time, and uh, the, I'm actually stone-cold shock in McDay's pub, speaking to my girlfriend at the time, going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Any story that involves girlfriend at the time is always a good one. Well, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's either followed by, she's my wife now, or we broke up shortly yeah, after. Yeah, you, yeah. you told a story in the racing <laughs> pod, actually, two weeks ago, if anyone was listening, about when you went down to Goran Park with Hiestas, got took the wrong turn, and then missed up. Mm. The race itself, you know. So one listener, we've already got one listener. Already, <laughs> yeah. So thank you, thank you. We, we've lo we loyalty. We're only eleven episodes in. Another story I, I do remember is memorable. My cousin had a horse, and he, they went for a touch, a gamble, eighteen years ago, and I was boasting to him that I've got about ten accounts. So he sent me about two to three thousand euro, and uh, said, "Okay, well you're the banker here. You get the money on." Twelve o'clock. It was twelve to one. I put up every account and started like backing it, and within probably about three or four minutes, the, my credit card was declined. 
So then he rang me up in a very angry way and said, what the hell's going on here? You know, so sometimes things can go wrong and the horse did win uh, on the line. I, I was, I was, um, Gavin Cromwell have had some like, good luck with Gavin, some like modest luck because the horses are no good or whatever. But I got a horse out of a claimer and sent it to Gavin Cromwell. First run in my colours, I've always wanted to have a winner in Galway, right? Um, now he was running in Wolverhampton, but it was at least it was during Galway anyway. So I was, <laughs> I was always wanted to have a winner. So I was in the cab, right? And but got, got in the cab. So Brass was running that evening in I think Robert Winston was riding him, and um, so the t- <laughs> I I'd, sp- I'd be texting Gavin, and Gavin hadn't really said anything. Like he was like, you know, uh, wouldn't be mad in the price here. He's short. He's modern enough horse. Like got into the cab, and he's like, you're going racing, are you? I was like, I am. He goes, I got word for him. I was like, oh yeah. Galway, obviously, you got word phone in Wolverhampton. It's a brass. It's like I own the fucking horse. I didn't get any word for it. <laughs> and uh, I went into the Labrooks tent, right, in, um, in Galway, and he got up on the line. Like, got up on the line, and it felt like the whole room, because he was an Irish horse in Wolverhampton, was on him. And just like you with Aurora's Encore, I had no money on him. Ah, uh, yeah. Johnny. Did you tell people though, after the race? Were you, were you oh, like, yeah, I was like, yeah. Just go around, for, I look at, probably getting some drinks paid, bought for you and everything. If, if Gavin remembers, he'd have doubled that night if I was his other horse in Wolverhampton. Like, he's going to come on the stage this, in a few minutes' time. This is so many, you can't even remember. But, like, it was, it, the, the magic of the Galway race is that, like, you get a tip for everything, even yeah. though, you know, you own the horse yourself. Yeah. Would you have a favourite horse, or the, a horse you think is the best horse you've ever seen on the jumps of the flat? I passed um, Chester Racecourse on the train today. I haven't been to Chester, I've been to York, I saw Frankel. Um, I saw See the Stars and Frankel, so it would be a toss-up between them, but I, I'd probably say Frankel had potentially more ability in the sense of what he did on his very good days. Um, but Mick Canan would argue that See the Stars would have beaten him. Yeah, he, he uh, Johnny Mercer would say See the Stars um, would be his choice because uh, they threw everything at See the Stars at mm. Doyle and they couldn't beat him. And also one thing I think is really important about See the Stars is that he was a versatile horse. He won over a mile the Guinness. He won the Epsom Derby one and a half miles. You know how tricky Epsom Imagine is. Imagine if Nicky Henderson trained him. He'd run a, a couple of times a year. Like. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, this is a flat horse with everything to lose and he ran yeah. on what, six, Champion six stakes. ones, different trips. And then won the arc the way he won the arc. And for me, I'd, I'd love to see the stars. Jumpers, I was actually thinking about this today. Jumpers are, are difficult. I, I can't really think, oh, Arkel. Oh, we all know, but nobody's seen Arkel, right? Maybe, maybe to, there's some people here have that might be lucky enough to have seen him. But I was kind of thinking, it's, it's harder to pick a best jumps horse. Best mate would come to mind. Denman would come to mind. For me, a jumps horse has to jump well. That's why I don't like Cotto Star, for example. Mm. Cotto Star made too many mistakes in his races. At Constitution Hill, they're scared. They won't put him over a fence. I'm thinking to myself, I want to see jumpers jump fences. It's an art. It's an actually, I actually love seeing a great horse jump a great fence. So Constitution Hill should be jumping fences. Yeah. Like 100%. But I think... The, the, there's a lot of bottling going on with this horse, like where where it's like they don't think they have any responsibility to the public because they think if he jumps fence, he has to be a Gold Cup horse. He doesn't. He could be he could be a champion chaser this season, yeah. and he, he'd be an amazing jumper of a fence. But he should be in Leopardstown. Like they're giving away 110 grand, but just by not showing up to Leopardstown, he's had one like canter to go to Cheltenham. And imagine if he came to Leopardstown. I, I if I think I think uh, owners that have the money should 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 campaign their horses if they're lucky enough a lot more aggressively because I'm not getting any fun out of Constitution Hill to be honest okay and he's not getting any fun out of you now Off the Walls <laughs> Racing Pod Live is thanks to William Hill best odds guaranteed on all UK and Ireland racing we talked about the competition uh, we're going to have an interval as I said about 8.15 you can have about 15 minutes to have a, a drink or go to the bathroom and then we'll have the preview of the Dublin Race Festival because there's 8 grade 1's this weekend there's so many great races to look forward to but now this is a really good, good point the Off the Ball Racing Pod Live 
we'll get the insight and the crack from three of the William Hill ambassadors that we have here this evening, the stars of the show, apart from you, Gavin Cromwell, Sean Flanagan, JJ Slevin. You're very welcome, folks. All good, Gavin, all good? All good, John, yeah. Great to be here. All the jackets. Mm. <laughs> Uniform. Yeah. Sean, is you're in the good books of Gavin, you sit beside him because you rode two winners from last weekend. I'll sit beside him now, maybe not after the weekend, but to make the most of them we are. A big well done to JJ for getting here. Late as usual. <laughs> yeah. Better late than ever. You, you did a tricky, <laughs> tricky run up, did you? Yeah. Um, got stuck on the motorway. Uh, got in the car 20 to 4 and just arrived there when I came in. So yeah, it was a long, long way up but we got here eventually anyway. So were you riding out today? Yeah, I uh, started off in Martin Brazels and yeah. then went up to Lorna Fowler to sit on a few and then back down to Joseph to uh, do stalls, put two rows through stalls and then up here. So we're busy. Did you fly up here, Sean, today? No, no I was in the Cora and then Wexford and then back up as well. So you fly planes. How, how did that come about? Uh, years ago, it was just as you said about... Uh, a girlfriend at the time bought me a, a voucher, <laughs> a voucher of... Uh, Did you get married? Lesson. No. <laughs> a voucher of a flying lesson. And uh, I, I just done the one, like, back then, and uh, loved it. Um, and it was always in the back of my head. And, and then, fast forward a couple of years, I was riding away, and a friend of mine was uh, sponsored me, and, and uh, his son was learning to fly, and they had a little plane, so it just opened the door for me to learn how to fly, so... I got a bit of it done, and I love it. Yeah. What, what, what was the what was the lesson like? Like, were you like, geez, this is. Sure, I got in, and the instructor was like flicking all these switches, and I'm there. I'll never be able to do this, and and just slowly pick it up. But like, it's when you start, it's it's pretty much like he takes off, and then he's like, right, grab a hold of it there, and, and go at it. Like, and mm. you can you can pick it up quick enough. Like, is it a thrill? Is it some kind of comparable thrill to riding a horse? Yeah, it probably is. I, I suppose when you're when you're flying this. No one can deny it, like, you can just tip away and do your own thing, you know? Mm. It's a lot of it. and it's very handy to get around. Very handy. So you fly to Chatham? Yeah, yeah. I, I rode in the Albert Bartlett this year, which is a second race. Watched the Gold Cup in the airport and I was home for the last. <laughs> <laughs> handy, like. <laughs> and do you, need, do you need airspace? Like, do you have to say, right, I'm in there at this time, or is it just, like... You, there's a bit to it that way. You file a flight plan and you have to do government gars they call them so that you put your stuff your passport details and all that crack in but it's literally you say you want to go at 10 o'clock and you have a half an hour window either side to go and you call wherever you're going to let them know you're coming and and just get on the radio and, and away you go and they might direct you around a small little bit like airspace along the way but it's generally fairly good that's mad have you given jj a spin morning jj oh, yeah we've tried to arrange a few haven't we yeah yeah Got Gavin up a couple of yeah. times, when? Have you? Well, brought me for a spin to sales over in Wales, and uh, just about thawed out by now. He did not, did not, <laughs> he, did, he didn't know how to work work the heat. <laughs> We're flying over snow-capped mountains and absolutely Lovely view. bought. I mean, I don't think it was ever as cold in my life. He then discovered that he was actually turning it down instead of up. <laughs> it was a uh, lever was was labelled wrong. It was like pull for heat, push for cold. So. <clears throat> I was like pulling it for the heat, but like it was meant to be around, so it was literally minus 20 air blowing in on our feet, like it was fairly cold now. 
the lads are different as well because they've like a lot of already they've interests outside because JJ has a bit of a journalism. Uh, it was really a journalism yeah. with JJ. Yeah. Um, Where'd you do that? Uh, Griffith College. So. Were you riding at the timer? Yeah, riding as an amateur. So yeah, look at it. Did you see his interview with Patrick Mullins in the racing book? I read it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like the a lot of poachers on gamekeepers. Patrick is good. Patrick is very good and. Uh, I don't plan on following in his footsteps anytime soon, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, it was a good piece as well, because I, I was just thinking of this today, JD, there, there isn't, there's not that much race in journalism anymore. It's just, no. it's a dying breed. Like, the, the, you know, most race, most um, newspapers don't have a race in journalist now, so. Um, pa- like, what Patrick did was quite different. It was like, it was inside the weighing room, and he was describing how, like, other jocks were coming along. Like, what was it like to do a piece like that, where you're basically, like... Yeah, sure, it was a bit of crack. It was just literally, like, a normal conversation. Like, we'd have any day of the week, mm. that's the stuff we'd be talking about. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's nice that uh, people watching in can, uh, you know, read something like that. What were you curious about when you study journalism? Was it just getting to behind the scenes of stories, that kind of thing? Or? Well, to be honest with you, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And yeah. I always wanted to ride horses, but I wanted to have a backup plan because it's very hard to make a living now riding horses. So English and history were my strengths in school. So I just said journalism and literally I wrote about nothing other than horses and interviewed people at horses and they the people in the college asked me, could I do that and could I write about something else? I was like, no. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> it was small racing, really. So, as journalists, we're always interested to know what's going on behind the scenes. And I suppose for, I mean, I've never sat on a horse, um, too much to my shame. Don't think it would probably, it'd probably buckle under me. But um, managing injuries, managing your weight, managing fear, are, are there things we don't see, JJ, as, as, as people on the ditch? Of a, like a day of a day to the life of a jockey? Well, not really. I suppose the big thing for me is like, you hear lads, especially in England, it's probably a big thing is the grind, it's the day to day work. It, it is probably tough work. It's tiring, like long days, early starts in the summer, it's late nights. So that's probably the big thing for me. But it's a very, it's a very enjoyable thing to do. It's, it's, it's great fun, like getting up there, riding out. It's a great sport and going racing as well. And uh, like the weigh room is a great place. It's a great atmosphere. Um, I suppose I kind of compare it to being like in between races, almost like break time at school because we've we've loads of fun in there and there's plenty of other sports. So. And then we take the racing obviously very seriously, so it's a, I know it's 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 good fun now. And a great thrill. So when you're riding fast or slow, uh, so that is a race, for example, in Punchestown last year. What was the buzz like when you <laughs> realised you've overtaken Gallop and Deschamps in Brave Man's game? You're going to win a huge grade one. Yeah, sure. Probably, uh, I suppose disbelief for a bit. Like really, it's uh, hard to, you know, imagine that you'd beat those sort of horses at that time. But uh, yeah, great thrill, and you know, they're the races that you always dreamed about winning and riding in and hopefully that you might win someday so it was a great kick you know it was interesting Patrick was talking about your style like on a horse day and like I, I, I thought that that's something Ruby has given a good insight into on the telly where he's on about particular styles like do you think there's a market there for explanation of what jockeys are doing and different styles because I, I don't think I don't have the eye to see that and I don't think others do either like yeah but Ruby Ruby I've listened to him quite a bit and the uh, I've never heard anyone give the sort of insight into racing that he's able to give is unbelievable the uh, the way he thinks the things he thinks of, of is unbelievable like so yeah sure I suppose styles is something that uh, well as a jockey you're watching all your life that so you've watched as that you like riding and and you try and take little bits and pieces from people and try and uh, perfect your own style really you know would you would you yeah. be able Sean to pick out a jockey in a race like that's I know who that is I know who that is I know who that is 
Generally, yeah. yeah. From watching it, you would, yeah. And, um, yeah, like I suppose the, the whole idea of, of having more people analysing racing uh, whilst it is obviously probably good, but then it falls into the interpretation of the analyzer as well, mm. uh, where JJ might analyse the race in one way, I might analyse it in a different way. So that leaves that open to question a little bit too, you know. Why do you pick a jockey, Gavin, or what, like, what, do, you, what do you want in a jockey? Uh, sure, listen, it depends on um, lots of different reasons, really, Johnny. Um, you're looking for someone, I suppose the definition of a good jockey is a lad who makes the least amount of mistakes. Um, and then if you can get the fella who wins on a horse, that shouldn't have won. Mm. That's my interpretation of a, a top rider. When you went in, say, Sean and JJ, you've got Ruby, Barry Garrity, all these legends. Is it intimidating? Were they welcoming? Or is it, what, what, is it, are, they, are they teammates or are they opponents? How does that kind of balance? Um, I suppose it, uh, the, for the first day or so, it's a little bit intimidating. But then uh, if you're relatively successful, you're there with them every day. So they just become almost like one of the lads. I remember being a seven pound claimer um, riding in Punchestown and I, I'd obviously become comfortable, I suppose, with, with the lads that were in the wear room in Ireland. And Mackay uh, comes over to ride and I just thought, like, oh, geez, this Mackay, like, you know, wow. I was only 17 or 18 at the time and uh, I'd ridden a couple of winners on a horse called Holly Tree for him and Sheehy and, and Mackay was riding him. And uh, he comes over and asked me, what about this lad? And, and I'm kind of looking around thinking, is this lad talking to me? Like, you know? <laughs> um, and yeah, but that, that's, that's the level of a, of a writer he was. He'd just, he'd, he'd ask it, you know, like I was, a, I didn't even know how he knew what I was like, but yeah, <laughs> so he must have asked someone else. I'd say he definitely didn't know, but anyway. Yeah. And, and do the injuries, is something that you just have to, to deal with part of the game and, and how do you kind of cope with it psychologically almost as much as physically? Yeah, you literally you hit the ground and you're, kind of counting back the days, right, if I've broke X, Y, or Z, how far down the road am I going to be? Like, I remember being on the ground in Tramor, broke my leg, and first thing popped into my head, I was like, I'm going to miss the Kerry National. And I did, and it bloody won as well, Snow Falcon, yeah. So it's kind of an obsession, almost. Oh, 100%, yeah, yeah. And I think the day you hit the ground and you're like, oh, happy days, or a bit of time off, you forget about it. Would you have thought Jack Kennedy's, like his list of injuries, was just so completely mad for his age? How is he going to ever recover from this? And he is. It's an awful lot. I don't want to say it's easier. Cause it's I, easier I when you're younger. Like. No, no, I, I, I don't want to say it's easier uh, because it's, it's obviously difficult to come back from an injury. But if you have 150 horses to come back to, it makes life a little bit easier. Uh, whereas if you have no horses to come back to and you're, you know that... Joe Blog has a horse that I've won two on and he's my ride and then I see JJ riding when I'm out and he gets on well with him. Mm. So am I going to get back on him now when I get back on? Or, uh, so that's, that's what makes life a little bit more difficult. What's Jack like, JJ, as a fella? Yeah, great fella. I actually sit beside him quite a bit and Sean doesn't sit 100 miles away from us now since he's taken over the uh, valet. And yeah, Jack, he's a man of few words, but uh, he's just a natural, natural horseman and makes things very easy and keeps things simple before a race but uh, it's a very good fella yeah we had um, Danny kind of got a spare on Florian Porter didn't he the first time you won to chat him during Covid yeah absolutely it was Jonathan Moore who was meant to ride him isn't it yeah and Danny gets a spin and rises history yeah honest to god um, 
Yeah, uh, look at Danny. He was obviously known as a, a very good rider from the front, and uh, Jonathan Moore actually suggested to use him, and listen, uh, he got on, got on great with him, and yeah, won two stairs hurdles. So the first year is COVID. The second year, you've got mad fellas from Galway, and James Gehill from our hurling pods, one of them. How did the two years compare for you, as in terms of actually what you did each evening? Um, well, listen, the COVID was. It was fantastic to win a stairs hurdle, but um, the celebrations consisted of sitting on a bed replying to texts. Mm. Um, we literally weren't allowed, we were all isolated in, in a hotel and uh, we weren't allowed to leave our rooms. So that was the, that was the height of the celebrations. Um, roll on 12 months and it was pure madness. <laughs> You know, uh, that was brilliant, fantastic, you know, for the syndicate and, you know, they, the lads, there's only four people involved in the horse, but they, you know, you, you would honestly think that there was 44 people involved because they, they made everybody, all of their friends feel like they owned the horse and um, sure, I think everybody's seen the celebrations. That's the thing about yeah. syndicates as well. Like it's that, I think like if even if you had a, a program for syndicates where it's basically like because if there are ten people and they're telling ten people, like it's it's spreading the word of racing. I know syndicates can be tricky to deal with, but yeah, um, they are. Well, I've lots and lots of syndicates, and um, listen, we try to use one point of contact. It doesn't always work like that, but we mm. try it anyway. Mm. And um, like everything, when it's going well, it's great when you know if, if a horse is uh, not performing and 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 it's going on for a little while um it they can fall apart you know how do um, you mean fall apart ah yeah i suppose from their point of view they're they're trying to um you go from being called gavin to, Crom to cromwell no it's know. not that oliver cromwell so much no, yeah that, that maybe, cromwell so, maybe, maybe so um, to hell or to go it's yeah. like when, you, when you're in a syndicate and there's so much enthusiasm and then like the trainer might be half kind of waffling with you or the horse just starts regressing i'm not i'm genuinely not talking about you but the the atmosphere changes yeah and then of course if you as i said if the horse is not performing and and then you'd find that the syndicate starts coming under pressure because mm. Tom, Dick and Harry are not paying their, mm. their few quid and there's the rest of the lads are trying to carry them and mm. you know, that, then it gets messy, but um, they, in general, they're good. It's an expensive game. Like, <coughs> you know. Yeah, so you uh, keep saying. It, it, but it is, it's like, <laughs> you know, your average bill is 1700 a month. Um, and then the amount, like the amount of injuries, is what shocks me. So, so many little problems along yeah. the way. Maybe that's why, like you're gone forty percent flat, is it now as well? Probably something mm. like that. Yeah. I, and that, like the, it's just kind of more straightforward in that regard in terms of injuries. I would have thought anyway. Um, yeah, I suppose there's probably there is less injuries, but um, nevertheless, it's 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 not simple either. Well, I was, I was thinking of this today as well, right? The, the four horse and down royal in the big race all came from point to points, we'll say. And that's, if there were no point to points at all, what would that, if just say point to points were gotten rid of in the morning, how would that change national on racing? I suppose we'd probably be back to buying, the, buying them as three-year-olds ourselves, you know, and, and um, that's before the point to points, that's the way it was. Mm. Uh, you know, it's not since the foot and mouth that the point to point season before foot and mouth, the season only started in January. Um, but it's since then, it's become a real business to sell the horses that were, before that, pointy pointers were, you know, the, the most common pointy pointer running was six year old and up maidens, older horses. But now it's big business, it's, it's all about the young horses. 
We're going to play some tapes here of the best moments of Gavin Cromwell, Sean Flanagan, and JJ Slevin. So let's start off with Gavin and the day you trained the winner of the champion hurdle at Cheltenham, Espoir Dallin. Espoir Dallin and Mark Walsh have sauntered into the lead in the Unibet champion hurdle. Now he says go and he's on by three lengths. Second position for Mellon. I actually interviewed Gavin about this horse. Was it last week? What do you win by Gavin? 15 or 19? 15. The longest, the biggest margin winner of the championship. He was a five year old who was beaten once over hurdles when he was wrong. It was kind of funny because you have to forget how good this horse was when you're. Just move on, like and the colours of JP McManus for Mark Walsh, who are the Unibet champion hurdle winners. Before we came in, John asked me, Was I surprised on the day? Um, and I was, uh, like he, he went there as a five year old. Um, it looked a very good champion hurdle on paper. Um, you have Bouvedere, who was the reigning champion, you had Lorena, who was very fancy from Willie Mullins's, and you had Apple's Jade. Um, and Bouvedere fell, and Lorena and Apple Jade underperformed. So um, we were, I thought we were going there with a place chance, and he ended up being a 15 length winner. So yes, I was surprised, but I'll certainly take it and I'll keep it. Do you get an approach from the likes of JB and McManus to see the photo there of yourself and him and Mark Walsh to, to train a horse for you? Does it work that way? Um, well, the association started with Jar's uh, Girl, who was my first grade one winner. Um, I actually told a story about it recently where we, we took her away to work on the Tuesday of the Easter, Easter week. So she was entered in a grade one in Ferry House on the Sunday and I took her to work and she didn't work very well. And it was a forfeit stage on that day on the, at close at 12 o'clock. And I said, there's no point in leaving her in this. So I, I took her out, I was on my phone, took her out. And she was also in a grade two on the, the following day. And uh, I decided that, how can I tell the owners that this horse didn't work well enough to, to run in a grade one, but yet I will run in a grade two. Mm. So I said, well, I'll put her back in. I'll put her back in. I went to put her back in. I just got her in before it closed. And I got a phone call on the Wednesday night and JP bought her. And she won the grade one on the Sunday. Wow. And then... Two months later, he sent, sent me a spur down. So just, you know, the way things can, can happen. Can you say how much you, you know, can't say much. Yeah. No, you can't. <laughs> but um, yeah, listen, that was my first grade one winner. She went on and she won another grade one in Punchestown. He needs, you need the big owner, like realistically, don't you? I mean, I suppose the, 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 the case of Florent Porter is just complete luck. That you yeah, but that she, like Jerry's girl was, was luck as well. She was sent to me, she went to a sale and was brought home, couldn't get seven grand. Mm. She won two great ones. So, just shows how random in a way, in a good way, the game can be. It can be, of yeah, course, yeah. yeah. With, with yeah. the Jerry's girl story and Jamie yeah. McManus. General principle, we're going to play the video of you winning the Irish Grand National now, JJ. It looked like about 20 miles, but it was, it was three and a half. Seven, David Mullins are pushed on the near side. There's not much between them. They're very tired. Bill Seal lands in front. Isle of Hope and Dreams is finishing well on the far side for Denny Mullins. In between them is General Principal. They're running up towards the finish. And it's Isle of Hope and Dreams and General Principal. It's gone to the judge. It's a very close for the finish. For Liverpool, Bill Seal and Folsom Blue is a close up fifth. Wait for the judge. Looks exhausting to watch it. 
Yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was a hard work that day. It's very soft ground. Um, it was actually a grand race to ride in, really. Them, uh, when the ground gets nice and soft like that, it makes our job a good bit easier, to be fair. And, Is uh, it physically tougher on you like in, in, hard, in, in softer ground? Not really. No? no, not really, because, you know, most of the time, lads that are riding the whole time, we're all pretty fit, like, once yeah. you're riding a lot. And, uh, you know, if you ask 90% of the lads in the way room to tell you they'd rather ride in soft ground than hard ground, you know, it makes things a bit slower and you can bide your time a bit longer, you know. Did you think you had a one when you crossed the line or did you know? I thought I did, but you can never allow yourself to think you did either at the same yeah. time. You know, I thought my head was down and most uh, tight finishes you'd usually know, but I, I wouldn't allow myself to uh, think I'd won just in case I didn't, you know. How did you land the ride that day actually, Mr. Friend? Uh, pure luck really. Uh, Joseph had a horse in it called Arkrist and I, he, he, was a, he wasn't a great jumper and jumper. yeah, he couldn't jump and there weren't too many lads holding their hands up to ride him and I'd want to begin a chase on him. So I was meant to ride him and then Rachel Blackmore became available. So Eddie decided he wanted her to ride him and then he kind of didn't want me. And all of a sudden Garden had no one to ride. I think he was Garden's fifth runner. He'd no one to ride him, he 10 stone. So they just stuck me down on him. So did you talk to Eddie afterwards? Yeah, yeah, Eddie. Um, <laughs> Sure, I don't, I don't, didn't say a whole lot now. <laughs> <laughs> Michael say much, did he, Michael O'Leary? I don't think Michael was there. <laughs> okay. no, so, uh, look, it's just an Irish Grand National, it's a big race now. So. Yeah, well, that's, it, that's think, it. I think that was the year, before the race, some, the all, like, doctors and all come in and give a bit of a speech about what's going to happen. And uh, I'm pretty sure that was the year I rode Snow Falcon, I got put down away from the stands, and uh, Adrian McGoldrick was the chief medical officer, and he came in and he said, if you're okay wave on the ambulance there'll be a minibus and I clearly started laughing I was like, what do you think we're going to war like or, you know <laughs> so we, we jump off in the corner on a full lap back to the first fence away from the stands and uh, Brian Hayes fell and brought me down and I waved on the ambulance and myself and Hayes walked over to get into minibus and it was full <laughs> we had to walk back <laughs> so yeah Full of just normal punters. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> full of other lads after getting falls. Yeah, it was full. We had to walk back. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> we're we're going to pick another highlight for you, Sean. Uh, the Leopardstown chase at Christmas a few years ago. A road to respect. They're coming down to the final fence in the Leopardstown chase. And Palka de Flo now from Outlander on the far side. In the centre is Road to Respect. Three Jiggins Town at the last. Palka de Flo now from Road to Respect and Outlander on the inside. These three having a great battle. In the lead now is Road to Respect from Palka de Flo who's coming back on the near side. Outlander is third and running up to the finish. Road to Respect. Road to Respect and Sean Flanagan is going to be a one, two, three for Jiggins Town. Wins it for Noel Mead. What was that like? Yeah, it was great. Um... Oh, geez, he was a fair horse. Uh, I, I, you, you don't like, you don't go to a grade one, especially there, like uh, Christmas time, um, thinking that, like, I, I genuinely think this horse will win, and, and I did. He'd ran in the, in the, the, Jane Wine, uh, which is now the Tote or the Labrook in, in Down Royal, and he, he was a bit gassy and keen, and uh, we stuck a hood on him that day, and, and he was working really well. And I just, I just thought he'd win. Um, he ended up being 173 red. He was, yeah. He Did you talk to the O'Leary's afterwards? 
Oh, yeah, I wrote plenty for the O'Leary's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They wanted me for a while. Not anymore, but... Okay, okay. What, what's actually happened with them? Because, like, they were supposed to be gone a few years ago. Michael was kind of winding down, and now you see he's, like, he's a juvenile hurler we'll talk about. He's predator's gold. Predator's gold. He's, like, um, yeah, d- just got the bows back, or...? What's the bad idea? Yeah, probably, probably mainly cleared up mm. a lot of the horses that they didn't want as well. Mm. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, they're, they're back, anyway. What do you think of Jigginstown of the game, Gavin? Because you, you, you've never had horse, some of you. No, I haven't. Um, um, horses are run really honestly. Um, yeah. They campaigned honestly. Um, you see three horses there fighting out to finish, obviously. Um, but obviously, I suppose, wouldn't be for everyone either. Uh, maybe not, but um, listen, I, I certainly wouldn't be turning them away if they, mm. if they came, came a knocking. Um, yeah, listen, I think they're good for the game. Um, I know some of the it's probably not the, the numbers that they had before but they used to have you know so many runners in those big big field big handicaps um but, uh, yeah i would be a fan where's the feeling among trainers now about the domination of the small um number i, I remember talking to liz doyle actually who sean had obviously arrived for a lot and she was saying we just have to we have to improve it's not you know the standard is there we have to improve to, to match it that's just it i suppose um it's it's tough um there's no doubt about that, but uh, the standards are very high. And uh, Mouse Morris said to me the other day, "I wouldn't want to be starting now." No, but uh, I don't. Maybe he's maybe he he reckons that it is different, by, or it was different back then. But no, he's doing it um, forty years. Mm. Yeah, um, I suppose the the big are very big now in comparison to. I remember a few years ago, you know, local. I'm training in County Mead, and I remember Noel Mead having like 120 horses, and I thought, how could one man have 120 horses? Well, I have 120 <coughs> horses now, and I'm not, you know, mm. they're way bigger than me. But that's just the way it's gone. I think everything in life has gone like that, you know, the big have just got bigger. Um, and it is certainly tough for the, small, the smaller trainers, there's no doubt. 120 horses, you've had 51 winners in Ireland this season and nine in the UK. So I suppose as the years have gone on, what have you learned about being a trainer that you've got better at? Uh, listen, every day is a school day. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and, and trying to improve the f- facilities all the time. Now, listen, when I say 120, we we've a good few flat as well. So yeah, and you're at, we're very much at a a double up time of the year now because we've all the flat ones and the summer hearts <coughs> in now as well. So we've basically in the spring and in the autumn, you've got you've got both. Um, so our, our quiet periods are actually in the middle of the winter and the middle of the summer. Um, but uh, yeah, sure. Listen, I don't know. Every day is a school day, and and uh, I suppose we're probably <coughs> lucky to have Willie Mullins and Aidan O'Brien training in this country, and uh, amongst more very good trainers. And, and all you can do is try and learn off them. Gavin bought a patch of land beside you as well. So if you just talk about that as well, because you, you, I think it was it was an old sort of an old-fashioned situation that um, he didn't want to sell; it was his land. But you really wanted it in terms of just the expansion for your flat horse, particularly. Yeah, that's that's just it, Johnny. So, um, unfortunately, if I, if I wanted to grow, I had to I had to um, put the investment in, and um, thankfully we're 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 well on the way and putting a new gallop in. So that's uh, that's our third gallop. Um, so yeah, just trying to improve all the time. Mm. Are you Joseph's cousin? Is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you ride for Joseph. You rode Banbridge there. You went over to Kempton, and you've had a great association with him. It's gone really well. Yeah, sure. Been lucky. Uh, been with Joseph since he started training really so yeah I've been he's been good to me yeah and 
do you enjoy the race day more so, or, or do you feel when you're riding that during the week that you're 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 say on riding faster slow? Or do you like would would you ride faster slow at Banbridge during the week, or is it only in the race course you turn up and ride these horses? Um, I'd obviously I'm in Martins twice a week, so I'd sit up on faster slow twice a week, all right, but. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't ride Banbridge very much, maybe when he works or schools only. Uh, Barry Canary rides him at home. He was uh, a good jockey in England. He rode over 700 winners in England. So Banbridge, he's actually a little bit tricky at home. He's a die he's a bit of a messer. And Barry gets on well with him, knows him well. So I leave it to him, really, you know. Yeah. It is cool that you've landed on these uh, like faster or slow and like even mouse having gentlemen's game that there are. Like Martin is a fellow who I've always found him in fascinating because he says very little. Always his strike rate very very good. What, what's he like to work with? Yeah, sure. He's a uh, he's a brilliant horseman. Really, he knows the game inside out. He's been around a long long time. Like he came to the Cora in 1977 to work for Mick O'Toole and and like he worked as a head man there and and he came up and learned a lot along the way and. When you go in there, you'd learn a lot just watching him. He, he's he's hand, very hands-on. He's 25 horses, so he knows each horse inside out. And and he, he likes that number, gets on top of things that way. And, uh, yeah, he's a very good horseman. Can that be better than having 200 in the sense that you have to delegate, if that makes sense? Yeah, but I suppose if you have bigger numbers, you're going to have to delegate, I suppose, for Martin likes to keep control of everything. He can keep an eye on everything with his with the number of horses he has, you know. That had that had to change for you because you you used to be kind of the farrier with the horses, but then it started to. Yeah, um, I was a farrier that that trained a few horses as a hobby. Uh, I suppose I was probably lucky enough in the fact that I had um, my income was from the farrier business, and I could I never I didn't take a wage out of the training of the horses for a number of years really probably at like not until I had completely given up the shoeing. And I was lucky enough that everything that I, every, all the money that came from the training, I invested straight back in. Mm. So um, I suppose that helped to, to fast track the development of the place. Um, you know, which was, I suppose, in comparison to somebody who's totally reliant on it. Um, it I suppose that end was good. What'd you do with Sean training? No. No. Why not? Um, it's, it's there's a lot of reasons I suppose uh, it, a lot of successful ish riders start trying to train too late if you have a successful enough riding career you're, you're starting to try training too late how do you mean? well if you're busy riding you're not going to be starting training until you're 35 or 40 too late. well it's too late if you haven't got something kind of ready to go like yeah. riding is a takes up all your time. I find that a, a lot of the, the, the more successful jockeys don't tend to make good trainers. Why? They don't know about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't want to say actually, it. But, but they actually don't. Like they really, they're, they're used to arriving into a yard um, and being legged up on a horse and riding it. But the actual running of a yard, they don't know anything about. You know, and it's not it's not their mm. fault. It's just the what this that's the way they've they've spent their twenty years in the industry getting so, leg up. So, and so on that Paul Carver you, we spoke about on the pod a couple of weeks ago, probably the most natural horseman we've ever seen, and that rides out for you. So what he does is almost what you're saying is completely different to what you do. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you, that's where the likes of your Gardinelli was an amateur. This more the grassroots level. They're the they're the lads that make the better trainers. You also have to deal with a lot of like owners and um, and that as well. That would probably 
just fry your brain a bit at times, I suppose. Yeah, well, listen, it's, I suppose you have to have some kind of a business brain as well. I mean, yeah, ultimately, it is a business, how, a business too. How much pressure are you under when you've told uh, an owner this horse should win and he's backing it or she's backing it? Do, does that bother you at all? Where a lot, yeah, yeah, it does. It does. The, the, the most relaxed I ever am is if I'm actually, I own a horse myself, no problem. Mm. I've no problem with, a, with with that not working, but I do put myself under pressure when somebody else owns the horse and I feel the pressure. Do you get better with that then, or? Um um, ah, you do, I suppose. Yeah, listen, you have to. Um, with so many runners now, you you kind of get used um, used to it, or I won't say immune to it, but mm. we, we we did the show of hands earlier for Archibald. Any owners in the audience? Any any, any owners? Aspiring owners. Okay. Wow, this is a pretty clever audience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so do you have to pl- do you have to think about the future, Sean? I mean, wh- I mean, right? Like it's not a bit like a. I see, I see bookmakers here, but uh, yeah, talk about that later. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I, I struggle a bit at times with riders that go through their career and they're sailing through the career and then they retire and and they've, they've nothing to do with it. Um, I could never understand why you would do that. You're not going to ride forever. Um, Sometimes they're just happy to go riding out, and, and that's fine. It's great, uh, but that's it's a little bit why I was doing the flying. Um, I thought that could be something that I could go on and do yeah. outside of outside of racing, and, and uh, then obviously the Valentin thing came along, and and uh, I grabbed that. So that's that's another thing that's there. Um, it's time and time consuming enough, but at the same time, I can run it from a distance as well, kind of when it's gone, you know. Yeah. Just in terms of before we go to the interval here, we'll go in a, a couple of minutes and get, let everybody have a drink or, or, or go to the bathroom. Um, JJ, what is going well on Irish race and what could improve? And like, what do you think is flying at the moment? What, what, you know, not to use a Sean pun, uh, or what, 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 could, what could be better? Sure, I suppose the quality of the horse in Ireland has never been stronger. Like, sure, that speaks for itself, really. But one time, all the best horses were being sold to England, yeah. where now all the, the big owners are coming to Ireland. You have your Shivalee Park, you know, Simon Meir and, and Isaac Swade, they all have their best horses in Ireland and the rest has never been stronger over here, so that's probably our strongest point. Uh, I suppose weak points, we need to get more people going racing. You go to a midweek meeting there, there's nobody there, like, so I suppose they need to try and encourage people to get in the gates at the smaller meetings. You go to Leopard Sand the weekend now, it'll be packed all right, but day-to-day we need to get more people in I think I, I'd be really worried about that because I started to do more more of those meetings and it's not even midweek me, midweek meetings it can be Saturday meetings at big tracks mm. where it's either festivals nearly or nothing now and I have a lot of sympathy because um, I, I think the racing experience for people with lesser attention spans than ever before who can get everything on the phone and get everything at home. But like if the trainer, they invariably know a lot, a lot of times the trainer won't come. And if you have a winner at the race and then there's no one there, there's no atmosphere. It really does detract from the idea there should be some owners in the audience and there isn't. Um, and and that, that aspect to me would be worrying. I totally agree with JJ on well, we're 11, that. There's no easy answer. Yeah, well, we're 11 episodes, episodes into the racing pod and we've a load of people here tonight. We're going to create a movement of people going to horse racing around Ireland. Uh, like, you know, so we're going to create a movement of people. Um, Sean? Uh, what what could be better? What what is working well? Would you agree with the lads? I'd have to agree. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's Johnny just said it there. It's all too accessible from sitting at home, really, and it's great in ways because obviously some people can't make it. But I don't really know how you would 
encourage more people to come. I, I do think that the student race days are, are massive plus. Um, they're the owners of, and of the future, you know, and, and uh, was was it Nace, uh, someone from a student race day, sponsored someone that had been at a student race day and obviously became successful in business and then started sponsoring races and I think maybe owns a horse or two now. And that was solely because he went, went racing at a student race day and, and went from there, you know. Um, so maybe some, some more uh, innovative ideas like that or something, but definitely needs more people. Uh, I've seen last year where um, I, th I just, I thought the Irish Grand National meeting, you could see all this, all of the students who had been going to, mm. to the student days during the year came of their own, of their own accord. Mm. And you could really see them there. So I think they really are a success. It just feels to me there are there are younger people. I know, I know what you're saying during the week, Johnny. I think though at festivals there are a lot of younger people I think going racing now, and I do think racing's on the upward curve post-COVID of attendances. I think would reflect that. But I do agree with you. Like unless it's say Leperstown, Fairy House, Punchestown, Piestas Day last week, the industry days are almost not seen as the thing to go to at all. There's, there's, there's too much racing though, really, in my view. Like there is, like there was a stretch there in sort of October. Um, where there were like double meetings during the week and um, with nobody at them and that's that's it's it's kind of like the Premier League now in the sense that the actual crowd isn't that important anymore it's all TV money mm -hmm. but in racing this is a bit of a race to the bottom in the sense that if it's if there's nobody there more often than not which is actually the case now and the people there aren't paying in because they're part of the industry um like when I'm working, I'm genuinely hoping it's a seven race card, not an eight race card, because it drags the life out of you. And Willie will talk about it as well, the 35 minute gaps. It, it's, it's, it's something I'd be really worried about because if, if I'd been going racing now, as opposed to when I started going racing 20 years ago, I would have been like, this, this, is, this is a better atmosphere than a League but of Ireland first division game. Like, but you know? Johnny, what you're saying, like the, but the runners are there. It's not like yeah. in the UK where yeah. there's way too much racing and there's three and four runner races. Mm. We have full fields on those days and there is yeah. eight races because yeah, yeah. they can divide the race. So I, you can't I, yeah. not have the days racing. I think it's a marketing thing though. I think this weekend is going to be absolutely brilliant to Leperstown. We're talking about it. We've had people, we've had people coming here tonight and you know, I get the sense that for the big things, like I got a Punchstown last year, it's absolutely fantastic. Mm. You know, big screen, you got bands, you got everything going on. You go Leperstown in the summer. You got bands after racing. I think it's. I think it's. I think psychologically, people are either into their meeting or their festival, or they're not. And I think there's a there's a gap, a massive gap between the two. You're almost talking like two different sports here. Mm. Mm. And that'd be my kind of feeling about it. 